Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello there and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Brilliant to have you along for the ride. Thanks for hitting on the button and I hope you're well. Thank you also to the sponsors as ever, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. We're enjoying a coffee with Jason Briggs, who is uh, the lead man at Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV in the courtyard in Montpellier, here in Cheltenham in the west of England. But uh, through that company, Serene AV, AV, you always stress and come out to your home offer you a bespoke solution. He travels around a fair bit, does Jason, and uh, can come out to your home, give you a bespoke quote on what you envisage, your vision for the place, your budget, your needs. Good man and worth getting in touch with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. If you Google it, other search engines are available. You'll be able to find them. So appreciate their support. Also appreciate the support of Cytoplan, food-based supplement company house not far from here in the west of England in the picturesque village of Hanley Swan. Now they uh, are a company my father has been working for, Dr. Mark Draper, for 20 plus years on a freelance basis as a consultant, seminar leader. Uh, my dad, Mark, has also helped devise a few of the supplement formulas He's a big man into trace elements, very interested in that area of, of health and research, soil samples, that kind of stuff, selenium and, selenium and zinc. He's always talked about being deplete in UK soil and hence the need to supplement. Um, but if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, they have a range of bespoke supplements too, maybe vitamin B12 if you're a vegan or iron if you're deficient in that. They have uh, vitamin D3, which is significant, even as we stumble out of uh, the dark haze of winter here in the UK, starting to get a little bit brighter. The day's a little bit longer, and I think we've got a decent week. Last time I checked in terms of uh, weather forecast this week, fingers crossed. But there's uh, a raft of supplements on there. Uh, the theory being they're absorbed as food would be, food-based supplements. But you can find out more at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-O-T-O-P-L-A-N co.uk and with the podcast there is an associated discount 30% up from 10% thereafter and that discount code is draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. right let's get on to uh, the day's podcast that is a fascinating conversation with the man and really appreciate his time it's dr chidi uh, nguaba but he doesn't really go by his surname uh, a man of nigerian heritage but dr chidi's one of the world's leading lifestyle doctors is how he describes himself harley street in london he is a trained uh, surgeon then a general practitioner as well trained at cambridge went to ucl in london as well and john hopkins in the united states of america He's also lectured at Columbia, Johns Hopkins and Cambridge Universities. I believe he's also advised around COVID-19 to the government here in the UK. But a fascinating man. Talk about his health approach to life. He's a vegan, but also I think he's a, he's a shining example of personification of health. Just 
having this interview with him and just looks so well, which I remark upon. And I think that's significant when you're a health specialist to represent what you're talking about. And certainly anything he advocates is rubber stamp, just the, the guy's effervescence, energy. I can't believe he's 10 years older than me or so, but he looks very, very well. And he's a fine conversationalist and found this very informative. So here he is, the one and only Dr. Chidi. Dr. Cheedy, welcome to my humble podcast. Great to see you. How are you? you? Look well. I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, you're welcome. I think you're, you're physical embodiment of what you preach, clearly, because you, you look good for, for your age. I won't give it away, but I was looking up. <laughs> you're, you're, I'm you're in the 50s. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it always helps when you're preaching the message to, to look the part, doesn't it, to a certain extent? I think it does. I think it does. It drives the message home. I mean, if it works so well, why aren't you doing it? That's what the audience will be telling you, right? So, um, no, I, I definitely practice what I preach. That's good. To, that's good to hear. Just give us a bit of context to, to your journey for people who may may not be aware of it. I know you've been obviously in the national media with my colleagues at Sky News and, and, and BBC and ITV. But what's your background's more of a conventional medicine one, but now you're very much full throttle on the preemptive health message. Yeah, that's right. I um, I trained. I went to medical school at University College London in Cambridge. Um, you know, when I went to medical school, I did have this in mind. But when I, when you're in medical school, it's kind of this macho thing. You know, what's the best thing that someone could do? Oh, I've got to be a surgeon, and I've got to be a neurosurgeon. You know, I mean, I don't know where my mind was. Um, perhaps I needed a bit of neurosurgery at the time. But I went out. I trained. I went back to Cambridge, trained as a surgeon, went out to Johns Hopkins, trained with some of the finest neurosurgeons in the world, really, and realised then that surgery wasn't, well, certainly neurosurgery wasn't for me. Mm. Uh, came back, I kind of woke up because I, I had these two healthy restaurants that were in Soho in London that mm. I was running as well. I, I founded them and got them going, and I was getting all this feedback whilst I was a surgeon, and they were... You know, people leaving notes saying, you know, I don't need as much medication for my diabetes. I don't need as much medication for my high blood pressure. I just thought, well, you know, I'm doing more good there than I am here. I mean, yes, we need surgeons, but really, I, I want to get involved with preventing people from getting sick. And if they do get sick, how to reverse it? I scratched my head and thought, well, how do I do that? I retrained as a GP uh, and I went via two years of doing accident and emergency. Wow. And then I set up on my own. I went out to the States, looked at what the research was coming out at the time. It was people were starting to realize that you could reverse heart disease. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing, reversing heart disease. Um, I brought some of that information back, looked into it, looked at the science, and it said, well, probably you can reverse diabetes too. And then it just expanded to a lot of these lifestyle diseases and set up my clinic started working with a few like-minded individuals around the world and here we are yeah it's, it's funny because i've got a lot of relatives who are, are gps and it's interesting they changed my father has been a big influence on me he's always been obsessed with micronutrition above and beyond just you know regular nutrition in terms of trace elements yeah. like that vitamin d vitamin, you know things like that he's always talked about and it's actually interesting that throughout our family different gps have different attitudes to that but it's almost been unique to the individual did you feel that in, in conventional medical training that perhaps it's a little bit antiquated to the system that we live in, the situation we live in, because it's about 
countering issues and fixing problems rather than just I guess to the environment we live in which I do you think it's quite it can be quite a dangerous environment the, the west the UK in particular the, the sort of sedentary lifestyles the processed food that kind of stuff yeah I, I think I think it's all all of the above I, I remember when I first got into medical school uh, the dean said well Chidi why do you want to be a doctor and I said well because I want to heal people mm. and he looked at me over his glasses and said well we don't heal people we treat people and that is the difference if we want to talk about western modern medicine we treat people. If you're a diabetic, we'll treat you for the rest of your life. We'll try and make sure that you don't die early, but you're going to be a diabetic for the rest of your life and we'll keep you on medication. Mm. And some of that medication will have side effects and we'll deal with that down the line. Um, rather than us trying to get to the root of the problem, as you were talking about, in society, it's, it's actually very difficult to lead a healthy life. You go down the aisles of your local supermarkets, most of that stuff is high sugar, high salt, high fat. It's very difficult to avoid that. And yet that is part of the root of the cause of most of our problems. And if we can undo that, we can free people from disease and free people a lot of the time from their medication too. Where do you start with, with your health kind of counselling and, and your structure? Because a big one for me has been the epiphany of the last couple of years. I think I was raised on the sort of the macho idea of, of films you watch and people you speak to of your know, sleep when you die. And then people, and I've done a lot of shift work in, in the media, you, you know, getting up at three in the morning, going to bed at two in the morning, three in the morning. And yeah. then you suddenly yeah. get the epiphany that you can do all the exercise you want and try and eat well, but getting that sleep is is essential. Is, is that where we should start in the, in the Western world in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, you ask me where I start. I, I always start by listening. Mm. And if, I'm, if I've got somebody in front of me, I really take time to listen to their story and listen to what is important to them. And as you said, for some people, it's a macho idea. Oh, I've just got to keep working. I mean, I've got, always got to be on the go. And if I've, if I've got spare time, that means I'm, I'm lazy or something like that. You need to listen to what they're saying to you because it's, it's in their story that lies the cure mm. if you listen hard enough. And once you've heard what they had to say, you listen to their sleep patterns, listen to what they're eating. Um, what, how are they thinking? You know, we always talk about this type A personality, this go-getter personality. And that's always, when I was at medical school, it's always been linked to heart disease and high blood pressure. Mm. But actually it's not. I mean, people who are go-getters are absolutely fine. It's just when you have that, that conflict, that that negativity with it, that's the thing that brings people down. So listen to what they're saying to you. And then it will be a combination of three things. I will say it's about meals, movement, and mindset. Yeah. So what you're eating, how you're moving, and what you're thinking about. And in some way, whatever the disease is, it has to impact on all those three. Mm. And then we, then we start to unravel what they've been doing. What's your attitude to meals? And I know you had a plant restaurants and plant-based restaurants. Is, is that where you go for, with a philosophical perspective or is it an overall umbrella of, of whole foods, organic food, whatever it, whatever it may be? Where do you start with, with your nutritional sense? Yeah, I think I, I tend to go for the, the whole food plant-based um, mm. material. I mean, that has been proven to be universally the, the most healthy diet we can be on. I mean, there can be tweaks. People can eat fish or whatever. That's fine. But if you go around the world and you look at some of these things like the blue zones, pretty much the people who live longest and live healthiest are having a predominantly plant-based intake mm. of food. You mentioned two meals a day. I mean, that, that's probably one of the best prescriptions you can give somebody. If you're going to eat, have two meals of the day, meaning that you have a big fast between the meals during the day and obviously you have the fast overnight, which is mm. broken with the breakfast. 
that allows your body to not just digest the food and absorb the food, but just have some rest in between meals as well. Um, but yes, it's about the volume of food as well and what you do around the food. And what do I mean by that? You have your meal, even though it's a healthy meal, the best thing to do immediately after the meal is to go for a walk. Mm. And because that actually, however healthy your meal is, you're gonna have some excess sugar. Your muscles will absorb that excess sugar whilst you're walking. It brings your insulin levels down. It's one of the best things I do for people who are type two diabetics and want to reverse their diabetes and a walking after meal. So there's, there's lots of things, lots of ways that we attack whatever the disease may be. Is it um, two meals, breakfast and dinner? Is that is that how you approach it or is it a lunch yeah. and dinner? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I leave it up to the individual, whatever suits the individual, but the ideal is to have a breakfast and a dinner. So you, you're having a kind of a long fast during the day. It can be broken with a little snack, fruit, veg, whatever you want to do. But really, you want to break the fast in the morning and then have something early evening and then just fluids before bed. Yeah, it's interesting. Breakfast, missing breakfast is always hard for me, but some people find that easier than missing lunch. But I think breakfast has always been one for me where it's it's hard to focus if, I'm, if, I, haven't, if I haven't eaten. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that by missing breakfast, you might hear about it being the most important meal of the day. By missing breakfast, it can lead to increases in heart disease and blood pressure. And, and we look at that because those people who miss breakfast tend to then want to snack come 10, 11 o'clock, you know, when they're at work, they'll be picking up high energy uh, foods. And that obviously leads to a detriment in your health. But for those people, I'll, I'll be honest with me, I fluctuate between one meal and two meals a day. You know? mm. So sometimes I'll just have the one meal a day and that's wow. in the late afternoon, early evening. But most times it's two meals a day. It's fascinating how that develops that aspect of it. And you mentioned that the plant-based evidence around the world. What we live in is a consumer world now where we're bombarded, I think, by the, I suppose we consider the sort of enemy of fast food restaurants now advertising plant-based burgers and things. How important is it that we look at what we're actually eating rather than, I suppose, the philosophy attached to it that people can jump on with, with consumerism? Well, that, that's, that's the main point. When I opened up my first restaurant, um, it was a plant-based restaurant. It's actually called Plant. It was a fast food restaurant. And the whole emphasis for me was it's about health. Mm. Now, lots of people who were vegans and vegetarians would pile in, but they weren't the healthiest people on the planet. I mean, they were piling in because they wanted the vegan chocolate cake, the vegan <laughs> sausage roll or whatever. And so just because it says vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. I mean, donuts are pretty much vegan. And you know, <laughs> only Homer Simpson would tell you that they're good for you. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's important to talk about whole food, whole plant-based food, pretty much food that you can identify on your plate, fruits, vegetables, different colors covering your, your plate. If you're doing that sort of thing, you're pretty much on the right path. Um, you don't, I don't tend to advocate people calorie counting or anything like that, but just look at your plate. Is it majority plant-based food? Lots of color. Is it pretty fresh? You're doing a good job. You mentioned fish as a, as a possible, you could add to that, become a pescatarian diet, I suppose. What about protein for people who aren't eating fish? Is there something you'd supplement with or is it possible through the legumes and the, the beans and the variety of, of vegetables to, to get enough protein? Because that's something that people sometimes are concerned about, particularly someone like you, looks like you, you do muscle resistance training as well. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I always say I start this with saying, well, you know, you look at the gorillas. 
they, they ain't eating steaks and drinking <laughs> and protein shakes. True. And I would defy any 20 big men to go <laughs> up against a fully grown gorilla. And their, their DNA and their digestive system are pretty much the same as ours. So, yeah, all of the protein, funnily enough, we can get from plant-based material. I mean, the high, de the high density um, protein you'll find in beans and nuts and things like that, absolutely. You have more protein per calorie in beans and nuts than you do in, even in a steak. But really, I mean, I was looking at some of the details of a sweet potato has lots of protein. It, people don't associate that. No. I mean, you don't have to have these high dense slabs of meat in order to build up um, uh, muscle. Uh, you know, I've, I've been pretty much plant-based for the last 30 odd years it hasn't held me back at all and i look at some of these fantastic athletes that are plant-based i mean they're doing fantastically well mm, they are yeah and it's it's fascinating yeah i had sweet potato fries yesterday which probably doesn't quite equate to uh to, to the same it's thing. good it's a good start yeah yeah it's a good i, I like sweet potato very big big fan movement then you obviously are intimating they do some resistance training what are the keys for you though for for the everyday everyday person in terms of, of movement is it just not sitting still too much or is it a specific exercise regimen yeah that's a good one i mean I, I put it into that fit category you know frequency intensity and time duration mm. so all of those things need to be so certainly do it every day and i would say a good hour every day um and I put that, no, it seems like a lot. I put that on top of the hour of aerobic walking that you, mm. you have to try and fit in in your day as well. But when it comes to um, um, resistance training and exercise training, it's all about not so much the heavy weights. It's more about getting to a place, if we're talking about building muscle, getting to a place where you, know, you feel you can't go on. So you can have very light weights, but just do it for a long time. And actually the same recruitment of muscles happens at the end of that session. Now, I prefer that because therefore it means there's less incidence of injury. Because mm. sometimes when you're loading on lots of weight onto your joints, it causes all sorts of injury. So when it comes to resistance work, yeah, I'm, I'm more of the camp of doing less, uh, less weight, but more intensity. Um, but also, I always put in the aerobic, you know, and for me, aerobic can just be walking. And, yeah. um, you don't do high intensity. You don't do sort of jogging. You don't get your heart rate to a certain level. That's not not the focus yeah, i mean that, that, that's a very good question i mean i do high intensity sometimes yeah. um, but i always say to people don't do high intensity if you have any issues with your heart if you have anything like high blood pressure or any traces of heart disease don't do high intensity because what it does it will shift your blood pressure to its maximum yeah. and if you're at, if you're at a high level at the at the bottom and you shift it up higher People, you know, you may know Andrew Marr. Andrew Marr yeah. wasn't an overweight guy. I mean, he was a pretty fit guy, but he did lots of high intensity work and he had a stroke because of it. So things like that, we have to try and be careful. of. I do it because, you know, I'm pretty clear in, t in terms of heart disease or blood pressure, but you don't need to do it to be healthy and fit. Yeah, should we be more across our, our heart sort of blood pressure, things like that? I mean, I suppose over the last couple of years, a lot of us who've been well won't have been to a gp because of the, the differences in yeah. the pressures on the system so should we be monitoring that ourselves at home i think so i, I would say at least once a week get yourself a little cheap monitor you can get them for 20 pounds and just once a week see what your blood pressure is and make yeah. sure you have sat down for a good 10 minutes beforehand because i get all these calls you know blood pressure seems to be a bit high well you just walked up the stairs and you sat down but just get familiar with 
we used to say know your numbers be familiar with your blood pressure be familiar with your pulse rate if you can get a regular cholesterol check every now and again know those numbers those are some good basics to build a healthy lifestyle from 120 over 80 is that still the basis for for blood pressure yeah and, and that 120 over 80 that's think about that as the speed limit that's the maximum okay i mean so you try not to go above that i say aim for something like 110 over 70 if you're in that area you're absolutely fine um some people who are older think well you know my blood pressure is supposed to go up as i get older but that's not true that's just in our society it does happen because of our diet and lifestyle Mm. You go to other societies around the world, it just stays the same for the rest of their life. And that's how it should be for us. What about body mass index, which, you know, in, in the extreme world of the Internet, you know, we talked about the uh, the Andrew Marr the fat exercise that people, the high intensity becomes fashionable. And um, yeah. people look at a body mass index and you'll hear a lot of weightlifters saying, well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a disingenuous metric. It doesn't really measure it. Do you believe in it? That is a good metric for the average citizen, though, to to look at that and think, actually, am I in a danger zone, my height? versus weight in terms of my health no no I, I actually agree with the body weight guys i mean you look at some of these fit rugby players their body mass index would make them morbidly obese they're obviously not there's not much actual fat on them it's a it's not an accurate measure i would say a better measure is actually just your waist looking at your waist measurement that's a better indication of what's going on inside of you than trying to calculate your height and your and your mass um your waist you know, for the guys should be around about, well, below 35. And uh, for women, it should be round about in the low 30s as well. Mm. But that tells you an awful lot about what's going on generally in those fat stores in your body. And not just because for some of us, you know, we've got fat distributed differently. Um, and for some and some of us actually look quite slim, mm. but still look at your lifestyle and say, OK, well, even if my waist is quite small, if I'm eating crisps every day, I might not have the what we call subcutaneous fat, which everybody can see, but I might have that visceral fat. The visceral fat is the stuff that clogs up your arteries and hangs around your heart. And that is more dangerous even than the subcutaneous fat. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. I think you, going back to what you also said about not calorie counting, and you mentioned the waste metric. I, as someone who came through sports science at, at Loughborough, and it was all about quantitative analysis and, and, and doing right. personal training as well and going through some of that education, it's all about data and we need accurate yeah. measurement and document. But I've always been someone who thought, well, I've, I've got a bit of an obsessive personality here. So if I go too far down that, you know, it's almost like tracking your sleep. If you, if you start getting yeah. anxious about what your measurement is, <laughs> it's counterproductive. So for me, I think that's the clothes have been a good steer. If you've got a certain pair of jeans and you know, you know, if you start to put a little bit of weight on that, you feel it there. That's that can be a, a good sort of touch and feel approach. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a perfect way of doing it. If you don't want to keep, I, I think I'm like you. I, I pretty much measure my stats daily. I'm sorry mm. to admit that, but um, but yeah, for, for those of you who don't like looking at the scales and everything, well, yeah, think about your clothing. When you go over a certain limit, rather than just saying oh, I'll get rid of those clothes and buy new, I say no. Let me let me get back into those clothes, please. Um, I remember some of my clients, they may be happy, but they'll come back and complain that, you know what, I've had to get rid of my wardrobe. I've lost so much weight. And I said, mm. well, you know, do get rid of it because you're not going back to that. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, you, you, once you sort of, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? It's defeatism. Once you, you, you get the next pair of jeans on the on the rack, you think we're not going yeah, back after that. You, you've thrown in the towel, you know, yeah. that's it. I'm, I'm a new man. 
not for the better. <laughs> yeah, bigger bigger man than I used to be, but not in a, yeah. not in a good sense. It's it, you've also advised I read uh, the government on COVID issues recently. I wondered what your reflections yeah. are. I actually had a GP send me something which I, I didn't receive too much information. I had COVID a couple of weeks ago, vaccinated, and hopefully lived a fairly healthy lifestyle. So I had it mild actually. I think I presume it was Omicron as well. But it was interesting. I didn't receive too much documentation in terms of protocols, but a GP sent me, a friend of mine, um, something I think is advised through for athletes, not that I'm an athlete, but that it was about when you get back to exercise, how you, you know, at least 10 days after your first yeah. negative test, watch your heart rate, things like that. Don't strain yourself too much. What are your reflections on COVID whilst having it, how we should treat it and post how we get back to, back to speed? I suppose it's similar to a lot of viruses maybe that we contend with. Yeah, I, I think that that point you've just made is, is one of the most serious points about COVID-19 and the vaccine. Mm. You know, this spike protein that we keep hearing about, if it does something, what it does is interfere with the, with the muscles, musculature of our hearts. Mm. So whether you've had COVID-19, going through COVID-19, or even post-vaccination, they used to give that advice after a vaccine. Don't stress yourself too much. Don't go out and do you know, high intensity exercise, because you are at a higher risk then of having things called like myocarditis or pericarditis. And that's just inflammation of the heart muscle or inflammation of the lining of the heart. So yeah, I would always say you can walk every day. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's not going to put too much strain in your heart at all, but I would keep it at that level in terms of straining work for the, for the first two weeks uh, before you go back to any sort of serious uh, activity. Um, but yes, I think that works both with the vaccine and with getting the virus. It's interesting, isn't it, that we, we haven't had that sort of open conversation. We live in quite a tribal society where you can't say anything to suggest that maybe you need to, to treat something after the vaccine. It's been, is it all, or it's either the, the perfect panacea or it's for, for anti-vaccination people, it's, a, it's the devil's work. It's, it's funny how we can't have that, that mixed conversation, just a pragmatic approach to it, isn't it? Sometimes it feels like that. I don't know whether that's something that you're trying to counter that, that culture. Well, yes, I, 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 that's really part of what I like to do with it. And that's about bringing these two camps together, whatever it may be. And COVID is a, is a, is a good dividing line. It, it is neither 100% evil or 100% perfect. Mm. And, and people are going to come at it with different opinions, with different experiences. We've all got different health backgrounds as well. So what, what we must try to do is if we can't find a middle ground, let's find some common ground. You know, we, we all want to be healthy. We can admit that. Um, you, you're not wrong because you've chosen a different path because it is right for you according to what you know and we sh I, I wish we could have more of those sorts of conversations about everything rather than allowing ourselves to be drawn into these two camps and we just hate each other because you're in the other camp maybe we should start to think about well what, what is the common ground that we have between us and perhaps we can have less of this abuse and name calling that would be useful for our health as well as our mental health yeah, do you feel that the time it's been, it's two years incredibly since the, the pandemic began in the UK coming up to, to March 2022 now, two years, two years on. Do you feel that now is now that hopefully the pandemic's receding from all that, that we're hearing, that we can have a positive conversation in the legacy of COVID about health approach to it, about what we can do generally to, to bolster our health against any future viruses, you know, God forbid that that come our way? I think that's that's I mean, I've, I've been talking about this right the way through the pandemic, but um, I think it's a crucial discussion to have. If there's one thing that, that coronavirus has taught us is that 
even if you've had these diseases that you can live with, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, whatever, coronavirus has actually pinpointed those people out and, and has really put rocket fuel into those diseases. So mm. that those diseases now make you a target for, for death from a, from a virus. So what the conversation we haven't been having enough is, well, okay, we can talk about vaccines and ventilation and washing your hands, but what about preparing our bodies for the next onslaught? So yeah. if we can eliminate or reduce those chronic diseases, the whole nation will be in a better position. Um, we are going to get more viruses. They are going to come. We're not going to avoid them. So why don't we now have that conversation of what can we do to prepare fully? Yes, let's talk about PPE for next time. That's beautiful. But let's also talk about what can we do? Can, can we take um, back control of our own health? That will be a great conversation to have. Yeah, it's, it's less about longevity as well, isn't it? My thoughts on well-being and more about how you feel for the length of life you live, which I think you get the impression a lot of people put up with a lot of suffering physically. And I think that's, yes. that then bleeds into to mental suffering as well, mental health. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's the old saying, you know, it's not the years in your life, it's the life in your years. What, what is the sort of life we are living? Because I mean, you, you say to many people, you know, I talk about blue zones quite a lot with all these people reaching 105, 10 years old. And people say, well, I don't want to live that, that long because, you know, I'll be in pain, I'll be in suffering. Yeah. No, you want to live that life full of, full of life, you know, not full of disease and with a bucket full of pills to do every day. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask, because I know you'd done some research and had some reflections upon ethnic minorities in the context of the pandemic as well. And I suppose, again, it's having an open conversation about the nuances of, of our backgrounds and when they're, they're relevant. I think people have had a conversation in broader society about why it's wrong to, to infer character traits from, from people's different backgrounds, different ethnicities. But actually what we, we don't seem to be comfortable talking about is is why things like skin color I presume may affect affect health i don't know if vitamin d3 is significant there with melanin and things like that in the skin no very good um i mean right at the beginning i, I mean i was privileged i i gave some evidence to both the government and the opposition work task force because they were looking into i don't even remember at the beginning of the pandemic many black and asian people especially on the forefront of the nhs were dying in disproportionately high numbers yeah and it was quite obvious to me, because this is something I've been promoting for years, that it's because of their low levels of vitamin D. The yeah. average black and Asian person living in Britain has far lower vitamin D levels because of our skin colour and because there's not enough sun to generate the vitamin no. D. So if you have low levels of vitamin D to begin with, you are susceptible to coronaviruses. We've known this for decades. You're susceptible to flu. Um, even the British Medical Journal printed out a paper 2016 told us that um, vitamin high levels of vitamin D was actually better than taking a flu jab. So mm -hmm. what we need to have the conversation also about as well as diet, exercise and how you're thinking about making sure we have enough of those vitamins in our system. And vitamin D3, I would recommend to everybody, black, white, Asian, um, who's living in a northern hemisphere country because we don't get enough sun. No, it's and, a bit like and it but... really put us at risk. It seems like a bit of pragmatism of the reverse when a, when a pale skinned person goes to the sort of equator or whatever, you need to, to load up with the sun cream, don't you? Because you're immediately That's right. at, exactly. at, at risk. I mean, it's, it's obviously we're, we're all on a spectrum, so it's not a binary conversation, but it, there's some research that we can load up in the summer, can we? Or is that is that not possible with the sunlight? But then there's dangers of damage and things as well, I suppose. Yeah, no, you can't really load up in the summer because it doesn't last that long. I mean, you won't have more than a month's worth in your system. 
Mm. So by the time you get into deep, dark winter, you're still going to need to be taking those supplements. Um, I take a vitamin D3 supplement throughout the year. When I take it at quite a high level, it is not the recommended level that your GP would give you, but your GP gives it to you to keep your bones healthy, not about your immune system. Mm. It takes a slightly higher level to keep your immune system going. But yeah, sometimes in the summer I ease off for a week or two, but really, no, I, I take it most of the year. Are there any other issues that people face when they're living kind of out of what I suppose their, their skin colour would infer their, their natural hemisphere would be? Because I suppose we're all in slightly different locations than, than perhaps sort of uh, our ancestry would be. Is there anything, is seasonal affective disorder, does that particularly affect ethnic minority? I think it's something that's been in my family actually, but I don't know whether that's a, a, a trend well, that we can see. Yeah, well, seasonal affective disorder is, um, I mean, you, you see it, I don't know if you've been up to Sweden and Norway much, but if you, if you go mm. up there, it it affects people dramatically. And that's mm. they have so high levels of suicides and, and depression because of it. Um, and we get bits of it here. I mean, I, I think as I get older, <laughs> I get more of it, you know. Yeah. I, I just require the sun even more to, you know, to feel happy. I'm grateful that we haven't had a terrible winter. No, we haven't. Um, but, yeah, but, but on top of that, I would say even blood pressure issues, there, there have been certain studies, a study done between Southampton and Edinburgh University that showed that as you, the more northern you go in Britain, the higher the blood pressures become. And taking everything out of the equation, apart from what's causing the blood pressure, and it is the fact that the less sun you have, the higher your blood pressure becomes. Wow. As the sun hits your skin, it releases nitrates into your arteries. That turns into nitric oxide and open up, opens up your arteries. That's a natural um, blood antihypertensive drug. So, um, yeah, we, we know that. So the more northern you go, you need to look out for yourself. A lot of these things are telling us something intuitively. They're telling us that we need to get out more. We need mm. to be in the, in the fresh air and the sunshine more. And when we can narrow it down and reduce it into vitamins and pills but it's really telling you something a bigger picture of get out into the fresh air and the sunshine more it can be a sensitive conversation because people can see it as as potentially rude we've talked about the weight issue and, and people can sometimes feel it's sensitive to the fat shame people and i think culturally it was interesting i think the the women in in, in italy had struggled some older women and apparently there's the legacy that they actually dress very conservatively always wrapped up and in a traditional sense and there's cultures around the world where yes. women, women in particular aren't exposed to the sunshine and that's almost a conversation that i suppose needs to be had with those groups too yes it is I, i've had these conversations i've I spent a lot of time thankfully before the pandemic traveling around the world doing all these talks and you go to places like saudi arabia and norway i say well what have saudi and arabia and norway got in common well they have high levels of autoimmune diseases. Why do they have that? Because they don't have enough vitamin D. Saudi Arabia's sunny all the time, but most people are covered up, as you say. Mm. If you're covered up, you're not gonna get the vitamin D. So you're just in the same position as people in Norway who can go months without any sun. So those conversations, they need to be sensitive as you're suggesting, but they do need to be had because a lot of people are just not aware of them. And, and it's a revelation to them. And when sometimes I'm telling them, yes, you need to be less modest. I mean, that's just, you know, they can't <laughs> comprehend. But it, but it really has to be done in order to be of optimum health. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in the high street either, does it? You can do it in the back garden. Of course. Or it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how optimistic are you, Dr. Cheney, that, that we will kind of reverse the trends? Because it feels like a lot of the ways we used to live intuitively, we were moving more, we were eating organic food, perhaps locally sourced. Do you think that we, we can go back to that? 
Well, I'm hopeful and optimistic because when I see the young gen younger generation coming through, they're more thoughtful about what they're eating. They're more thoughtful about the environment. And, you know, the environment and this, everything we've been talking, it actually works hand in hand. I, mean, mm. I, I often talk about this thing called the planet-based diet. I mean, that is hand in hand with the plant-based diet because mm. the more plant food you're eating, the, the, the less or the fewer milk and and, and meat products you're eating, the happier our bodies become and the happier the planet becomes. Um, I, I'm also confident because more people are questioning doctors, and I think that's a healthy thing. Uh, they're not just going into the GP, taking the medication, saying, thank you, doctor. They're actually saying, well, you know, is there any other way? Mm. So I like the fact that people are putting out more questions to the medical professionals and scientists. Yeah, great to have ownership as well in a sense of personal productivity and responsibility, I suppose, for people should should embolden them as well. Finally, any, any tips on digi digital etiquette? We're talking through a screen at, at the moment, which is fantastic in a sense, because I'm getting your wisdom from afar. But is there anything that you, you, you can observe about mobile phone addiction, problems with sleep that may be attached to it? Any general reflections on, on the modern world? Working from home? There's a... I mean, there's a lot of things with um, mobile phones and addiction or all these apps, Instagram and all the social media. I mean, because of the way social media is designed, we are designed to constantly want to look at our phones. Mm. Now, that has certain aspects to it. You know, this blue light thing, that a lot of the mobile phone companies have changed. That's so you have the orange light. But taking your phone to bed, for example, and always having to have it with you doesn't allow you to get that good quality sleep that you need. Um, and if you're not sleeping, well, your health isn't, isn't good. You, we spoke about this right at the beginning. I mean, if you want to lower your blood pressure, one of the best ways to do it is to make sure you have some uninterrupted sleep for at least yeah. six hours. And if your mobile phone's pinging off or if you constantly want to check your social media, that's not going to allow you to do it. Um, also, the other thing is, for young people, playing on all these mobile games mobile phone games i mean that becomes the entertainment when i was a kid we were more outside mm. on our bikes running about playing rather than just being inside on our mobile phones or on our computers so look we're never going to go back to not having these i mean we're not luddites but i do think we need to for those of us who are parents and we have children we need, we need to limit those times and it's not just about limiting the time for them it's it's getting them into a habit so that they can do that into the adult that they know how to manage their time and some of us as adults you know we're failing at that as well yeah yeah absolutely i think playing with you or trying to play with my daughter as well even if it's dancing around she's not much i've tried to get into football but it's uh, it's more the the dancing and <laughs> which is uh, which is good but it's just general movement and you realize when you watch kids how they just they don't have to have a, a gym regimen they just uh, incorporate climbing jumping pushing right. body resistant stuff into life yeah absolutely i watch my daughter i mean I look at her throughout the day when we're at home all day and she rarely, she can rarely be still, you know, so she's just exercising all day. It's, it's fabulous. Um, quickly, any thought, I know it can be a hot button topic. You mentioned vitamin D as a supplement that you take. Any other supplements that you believe are, are significant, particularly in the UK, maybe, because I know some people say it's specific to the soil and the food that we're eating. Yeah, I, I don't so much go along with that. Um, I often think when people say, well, you know, the soil doesn't have enough. Um, nutrients as it did I, well that is true it, it doesn't have as much as it used to have and perhaps our fruits don't have as much as it used to have but the wonderful thing about fruit and vegetables is that they have an, an abundance of vitamins and minerals so that even if you reduce it by 10 15 percent it's still abundant and, and we and we can see this by 
you look at the the, nat the animals in nature, I mean, they're not going around with scurvy and gingivitis. They're, they're actually doing all right, eating the crops that are there in the soil. Um, but there is vitamin D, obviously, is the one I always recommend. And if you're having a heavy plant-based diet, it, it is important also to have B12, mm. not just because we don't get B12 from the food that we eat, but also it's been shown that B12, if there's one negative thing about just being plant-based, is that if you're not getting enough B12 in your diet, it can lead to certain chemicals in your blood called homocysteine, which can lead to an increase in high, high blood pressure. So I always make sure that everybody's got enough B12 and enough vitamin D. The rest, pretty much, you can get from a healthy plant-based diet. That's fantastic. Well, Dr. Chi, I really appreciate your time. Where's the best place to, to follow you and, and get your kind of your, your counsel and potentially people come and see you, I suppose, as well? Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, first thing is Instagram and Twitter. You can get me on at Dr. Chidi MD, at mm. Dr. Chidi MD, or you can get onto my website, um, drchidi.com. Well, well, whatever you're doing, it's fantastic. And you've inspired me because I think you're a few years older than me. But I'm, uh, yeah, if you can look like that in 10 years or so, I'll be, I'll be very happy. Thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. A fascinating man, Dr. Chidi. Really appreciate his insight, his time. And I think his general philosophy around preemptive health is one that's much needed, isn't it? I think when we look around ourselves, particularly in the UK, I guess that's all we can speak for, general levels of, of ill health. The statistics back it up in terms of obesity and type 2 diabetes. Had our struggles with COVID, which have been exasperated by the underlying health conditions as well. Exacerbated, I should say. It's it's an interesting, challenging time, I believe, that the modern world with the leaning towards sedentary lifestyles, processed food, lack of daylight, sleep being impacted by all the digital devices and the bright lights. It's it's an interesting time, one we need to plan, I think. And someone like Dr. Chidi is very good at articulating the things and the, the scaffolding, the architecture of how we go about creating a life in the modern world that's healthy so we get the benefits of the comfort that is around us to an extent, but then also not the detrimental side effects of of not moving, of not eating whole foods, of not looking after ourselves. So I really appreciate Dr. Chidi's time. Look him up online and give him a follow for sure. Now, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Please pass it on to a friend, spread the word, rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. If, if it's good, well, even if it's bad, you can rate it, you know, be honest or get in touch, write a review. That's always appreciated feedback. You can email hello at drapermedia.co.uk for feedback too. And uh, thank you for the sponsors or to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity, remember with the podcast, there is an associated discount with the wonderful Cytoplan food-based supplements. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, at checkout, you get 30% off your first purchase, 10% on future purchases with the discount code DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week and speak to you again soon. Goodbye for now.